0: Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Podcast, aka your holistic guide to being a wealthy woman. I'm your host, Donnie, and on this show, I talk to the dopest women experts, entrepreneurs, influencers, corporate baddies, and occasional wildcard guests while they share their wisdom from the experiences that brought them to where they are today. So let's upgrade our lives together, but more importantly, let's get wealthy. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Simran Kaur from Girls That Invest, which is a media company that teaches and empowers women to be investors and invest in the stock market. Between her number one finance podcast and her best selling book, along with her social media, she has been helping thousands of women make strides in their finances by inspiring them to become investors. So on this episode, we dive deep into how she became an investor as well as what are the easiest ways to get into investing into the stock market. If you are a newbie to investing in the stock market or maybe you've never even considered investing in the stock market, this is the perfect episode for you because she's going to break it all down and make it so simple. So without further ado, let's get into the show.
1: Okay, this conversation is going to be so exciting to me because I love talking about investing and it's like something that I'm trying to get more um, well versed in, you know, like I really want to understand all the different types of investments and so does our audience. So thank you for being on the show, Sim. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I love talking about money. I love talking about investing. I love talking about getting women more wealthy. So this could not have come at a perfect time.
1: Exactly. that That is the goal here to help women be more wealthy. So yes um okay so tell me how did you get into investing like what made you get started and all that
2: it's such an interesting journey because it's not a very conventional one i think most people that get into the financial industry you know start off Um, maybe like starting from college or or university and for myself I was in a completely separate field as my first career I was an optometrist so I used to check people's eyes for a living so different right Um, to what I do now and growing up like during my studies uh, at school had encouraged us to like take papers outside of our curriculum and they were like don't just focus on like one thing like learn a couple of others so I took like a international business paper I took a Uh, advertising paper and then outside of my degree I took a financial markets um, certification and that just completely changed my life. I realized how one easy and two um, like quite accessible investing in the financial markets were and I almost was like angry at how gate kept it felt because I didn't grow up like knowing about these things. My family didn't talk about the stock market. They definitely didn't invest. And so it just felt like something like other people do, like wealthy people do. It's not for me. And when that sort of revelation happened, I was like, this needs to be shared. Like I cannot believe how simple this is.
1: No, I completely agree. And I just had um Alex Wolf on the podcast and she was talking about investing as well because she has been an investor for a really long time. And she was like, I don't want to get too technical, and I'm like, yes, please get technical. Please use all the terms because, like you said, it's very gate kept, and we mm-hmm. need to learn these things. We need to normalize it. We need to feel comfortable with it, and not be so intimidated by it. But it's the reason it's intimidating is because, like you said, it feels like it's just such a closed off world, and it's like, you know, you have to know all the things in order to be a part of that world. So I love that with your platform, you normalize it.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Now, our sort of philosophy behind it, like with the podcast and the Instagram and the book, all what everything we do is how do we make this as like friendly as possible? Because for so long, like this information has been available, but it's been available with like a bit of bubble wrap around it. It's been available with like a small wall or a fence that kind of makes you say, if you don't look a certain way or have a certain amount of money or come from a certain kind of background, then this is going to be really like weird for you to climb that fence. And you just feel like quite hesitant. And my goal was how do we make investing education seem like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. If there's another young woman, a woman of color, two best friends chatting about the stock market, is it really that, is it really that hard? Right. No, yeah, that's exactly how it should feel. That's exactly it. So,
1: okay. When you um, first got into investing, what kind of investing was most comfortable for you and what is your favorite type now?
2: Oh, great question. When I first started, um, so when, I mean, I'm generalizing here, but when women in general invest, we tend to, and you kind of were saying it earlier, we like to do all our research. We want to know everything before we jump in. And the way um, men in general like to invest is they will just put in a hundred dollars and see how they go. And, We just learn different ways. So I was not like that. I I felt like I needed to do my research first. I wanted to understand, well, one, what even is the stock market? Number two, how do I even buy something? Do I have to call someone? Do I have to use a website? It was the latter. And um, then my third question was, well, then what do I buy? Because you can buy individual companies. You can buy funds, which are like baskets filled with lots of different companies. You can buy, you know, cryptocurrency, I guess back in the day it was only Bitcoin that was available, but at the time I was like, oh, I'm going to just buy companies that I use. Um, I think that's maybe a good way to begin. I was quite young. And so I bought Amazon shares and would I have done that again? Maybe not. But that was my initial uh, decision. I was like, well, it's, you know, growing quite quickly. This thing called Amazon Prime is like starting up. It looks like it's going to be quite helpful. Um, And it was so funny because as soon as I bought it, my shares dropped. I put like maybe $300 in my shares dropped like $2 and I was like, this is so bad. I've lost money already. I'm such bad luck. Like I've dropped the shares Um, and I pulled my money out, which if you are into investing, that's actually the worst thing to do. Because if you pull your money out, you have a hundred percent lost that $2. If I left it in, it would have recovered, you know, after a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Um, So that's how I used to invest at the start when I was a baby investor and as time's gone on I focused more on investing in funds and for those listening at home thinking well what on earth is that I kind of alluded to earlier it's a basket filled with lots of companies sometimes they can be technology companies sometimes they can be healthcare companies the world's most popular fund is called the S&P 500 it's the top 500 companies in the U.S. and if you buy let's say $100 worth of that fund, your $100 is split across the top 500 companies. So like Apple, Amazon, Google, you know, Netflix, Microsoft, anything and everything. Um, so it provides a lot of diversification. And that is mainly how I invest now.
1: I love that. So when you're investing in funds and um, just the other types of um, stock market investments that you were mentioning, that is more so like a long game, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, because I know there's a lot of people that are listening that are probably thinking like, okay, well, what about options trading or just trading in general? Like that is more like fast money, right? Like it it takes a lot more um, maintenance,
2: (laughs) right? It is definitely a, a harder game. I think the golden rule when it comes to investing, which we've probably actually all heard from like our teachers or our parents at some point, is that if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. And that's how the stock market works. There are so many, um, I would say, grifters um, that try to take advantage of people like us that are just getting started, who um, maybe like don't have the, the knowledge. And you'll see a lot of um, content or courses around options trading and forex trading, and they are legitimate ways to make money, but the likelihood of making a lot of money is small. So I'm, I'm never here to say they're scams because they're not. You can use options to make money. You can use Forex to make money. Money, Same with crypto. But for the everyday person, the slow and steady investing style um, tends to be better in the long run.
1: Got it. Okay. So this is like, this is not a get rich quick scheme. This is like, you are literally trying to grow your money over time. And so what is like the biggest benefit to investing for someone that's just like, why would I not try to just make money quick, right? Like what what would
2: you say to that? Oh, that's a great question. I would say that when you're investing in the stock market, this is money you want to be keeping in there for at least like 3 to 5 years at minimum. So my first goal, um, when I was my first got, got my first job, I said to myself I'd like to buy a home, but I don't have, you know, family that can give me a home deposit. I don't have a partner. So I'm going to have to come up with this money myself. And if I was trying to save my way to a deposit, so I needed $50,000, that's a lot of money. I had like 4,000 to begin with. Um, And if I had tried to save my way from paycheck to paycheck to get there and like lived really frugally and, you know, like saved money on rent by living in a poor area or sorry, a lower socioeconomic area, I just was not going to get there in the time frame that I wanted. And so by yeah. investing, there's this thing called compound interest, which is again, a jargon term, but it just means if I put $100 every single month um, and at the end of the year, let's say I have uh, a certain amount of money At the end of the year, that money compounds, the stock market on average returns about 7% a year. And so for the first year, I'll get 7% on my money. The second year, I'll get 7% on the initial money I had plus 7% on the 7% I made the year before. And so that continues to jump on top of each other. And so um, to give you maybe some more numbers, if I invested $200 every single month um, for 40 years, That would look like $1.5 million if the stock market returned 7% each year. If I saved $200 a month for 40 years, that would look like $260,000. So we're comparing a million dollars to a quarter of a million with the same amount of money, but compound interest in investing just makes you get get to your goals faster.
1: No, that makes total sense. And I think um, that puts into perspective what people always say about putting your money in savings versus putting it in the stock market, how it's going to grow a lot quicker <laughs> that way. So thank you for explaining that. Because, yeah, I I know that nine times out of 10 people, when they hear investment, they're, they're thinking, OK, what is my return going to be? How quick am I going to make my money back? You know, all those things. And I think when you're approaching this, that is not the headspace that you should be approaching it from <laughs> necessarily. So um, I'm glad that you explained that.
2: It's so helpful to have what, because people will ask us, what's the quickest, best way to make money? And to me, I rather try and flip it and go, well, what's your goal? Because if your goal is, I want to have a million dollars, then that's, that's great. That's actually a number you can then work back from and go, well, if it averages 7% a year to get there, there's calculators that can then tell you, you need to invest this amount every single year to reach that million dollars and then you might realize well actually I don't have that money so then you start changing your um approach to well now let me get like a side hustle to then be able to invest more to then reach that goal as opposed to getting the most riskiest investment type and possibly having it work out but also possibly not
1: yes Uh, yeah you're correct (laughs) that is
2: a good point so, okay. So
1: if someone is like about to start trying to invest and this is like really piquing their interest, what would you advise them to do in order to choose like or to figure out what the best um thing is for them to invest in in the stock market?
2: Oh, I like this question. I think it comes down to knowing two things: your time frame and your risk tolerance. So, risk tolerance is just a fancy way of saying are you okay with some of your companies going up and down a lot, like is it is would it be weird for you if your shares dropped ten percent in a year, and if you had a hundred dollars, you only had ninety by the end of the year, but then maybe one hundred and twenty the year after, or do you want you know just a small amount of movement? It drops to ninety eight dollars, or it might go up by a hundred and two dollars. Understanding your risk tolerance is quite important, and I think people don't get taught. Um, we don't get taught much of this anyway, but we really don't get taught that there's different levels of risk with investing you don't just have to invest in crypto you don't just have to invest in you know tesla or really um up and down companies there's also lots of boring companies that do well and are more slow and steady i kind of like to describe them as like the different types of boyfriends like the growth stocks are the boyfriends that are you know fast furious real like up there lots of ups and downs it might work out it might not but you're taking a risk. Um, And then blue chip companies are like the stable boyfriends, the ones that are kind of reliable. Your parents love them. They're not as exciting. The returns might not be as high, but the reliability is there. And so it's almost like a scale with shares where you can kind of choose and go, okay, I am a risk taker. I can invest in more risky companies or funds, or I'm not really a huge risk taker. I'm going to go for something um, lower for lower returns. So you decide your risk tolerance and then you decide your time frame, because if you're investing for a shorter period of time, let's say three to five years, um, like when I was buying my home, I didn't want to take on too much risk because in the short term, the stock market is really volatile. But in the long term, you know, five years plus, 10 years, 20 years, you can you have more room for error and you have more rooms for things doing really well and doing really poorly. And that's the beauty of investing. You can, it's almost like little levers. You can kind of customize it to yourself.
1: Got it. Okay. Okay. That No, those are great factors for them too. I hope everyone's taking notes because like these are great factors to consider. Um, and so then it, once you figure that out, then you're able to like decide and, and put together a list, right, of the best ones or the ones that you should be looking at at that moment. Um, And then is there a certain amount of money that you feel like is a good amount to start with just to get your feet wet?
2: When, if this was like a question we had maybe five years ago, then I would say, yes, at least put in like $100. That's a good amount of money to start with. Now we have what we call fractional shares. And so if you wanted to buy a share of, let's say, Google or Alphabet as its parent company, um, back in the day, If Google shares were $1,000, because it was at one point, like $1,000 to one share, you would need to come up with $1,000 to then buy a share of Google, which is insane. That's so much money. And who's going to put the only $1,000 into one company? Now we have fractional shares. So you can put in... $10 or $100 or even $1 into a Google share, and you'll own, let's say, 0001% of a Google share. But as Google goes up, your $1 goes up. As Google goes down, your $1 goes down. And so the beauty of fractional shares now is that um, as we're young, sure, we might not have a lot of money, we're still in college or we've just started our first graduate job, cost of living is quite high, we might only have, you know, $10 left every week or even every month. But that money actually can now be invested. And then if you put it together with compound interest, which is the idea that your money grows more and more over time, it's more exponential the longer time you have, you end up realizing, well, I could start with $10 and I'm actually going to be better off doing that now in my 20s than investing hundreds of dollars in my 40s.
1: Wow. No, yeah. That I think that a lot of people do feel like, or they think that you have to buy a whole share. And so I'm so glad that you said that because you can be investing in Google, Apple, not not that those are recommendations, but <laughs> just examples that <laughs> so you can be investing in those companies that we love for a very low price. And that is just the perfect way to get started. So um, hopefully that sounds accessible to all of you that are listening. I am so like, in love with the platform that you're building um what made you start girls that invest
2: what made me start it i was having a conversation with my best friend sonia this was around that time where i was trying to buy my first home and i was like hey um we've been best friends for 20 years we've never actually talked about money Um, but I want to tell you something like it's very vulnerable but I want to buy a home and I don't have a lot right now but like I was like this is what my salary is Um, I'm investing in shares I have a bit of money in there Um, and yeah this is just my goal and she was like that's so cool and then she said like I have like this much saved up and this is my goal and I just like looked at her like my mouth was hanging wide open I was like you've saved up how much like since when, like you're my best friend and you just have this like huge wad of cash. Like since when were you good with money? And we just like both had this like realization that, you know, as best friends, we talked about everything together. Like we talked about boys, we talked about our our health, we've talked about our like deepest, darkest secrets, but money, even our careers we've chatted about, but money wasn't something that we had talked about. Our goals, our investments, our savings accounts still felt taboo. And so we like what, In my bedroom floor we were sitting we chatted for hours about it and then afterwards um i kind of said to her like you know at this point i had started girls that invest but i didn't know how i was going to um you know get that information out there in a really accessible way i was like do i do youtube do i do podcasts and so i kind of um brought the idea up to her and i was like this was really fun like you and me talking about money was so fun imagine if we did this on a podcast and that would then encourage other like best friends to talk about money amongst themselves and that's going to really help you know drive the financial literacy um oh sorry shorten the financial literacy gap and so that's how it began
1: oh that is the cutest story i love that no and you're right i think money can be so taboo but it's like whether we see somebody that we know on a personal level get a bunch of money all of a sudden or maybe lose a bunch of money, or we just find out that they're so savvy with money. It's like, it's so weird. It's like we're, we're uncovering a different layer of them. And it's like a, like a really intimate layer of them. Um, but I think that, that is, money is something that really can bond people together if you're willing to be vulnerable about it. So that's so cute that you guys had that moment. And then you were able to start this amazing platform that is growing and you released a book. That is exciting um and so what has this journey been like for the two of you are you guys like surprised at how much it's grown was this like always the plan how did that go
2: this is such a great question i think i was very surprised like for sonia when i brought up the idea of like could you be my co-host for this podcast it was i i, I think in her head she was like oh this will be a cute like project we do for like six months and it'll be fun um fast forward to now we'd both do it full time and we've quit our jobs and traveled the world for it. And so I don't think we, either of us would have expected that, but I think deep down in my heart, if I'm being truly honest, you know, when you just know that you're going to do something and it's going to have an impact and you're like, I just, I have the energy. I just need to find my thing. Like, I think I can make some little change in the world. That's how I felt. Um, but I feel like as women, we often get taught, like, that's not the right answer. Like, you shouldn't say, oh, I I saw this coming. Um, we shouldn't say, like, yeah, my success was something that, like, was in my vision. We're almost like, oh, I stumbled into it, hee hee. Um, and yeah, I guess that, I hope that answers the question.
1: No, yeah, you're exactly right. I feel like men always, like, they're so praised when they sit in an interview or whatever, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, I had this whole strategy mapped out, and it was like, all these different things that I figured out and then boom, here we are. But as a woman, I see this all the time, especially influencers. People always love to ask an influencer, like, oh, did you know your account was going to grow this much? Did you, was that what you set out to do? And then we always have to come up with something of like, oh no,
2: I was just making (laughs) videos one day and then it blew up. Right? Yeah, it's it's almost like, I, I completely agree, but I think we do a disservice to ourselves when we do that because Like, I'll have conversations with people and it comes across very like, oh, you stumbled into this. And I have to remind them, like, it's actually a media company. Like, we are influencers. We do have influence on social media, but there's a strategy behind it. You know, we plan this. We, um, not to say we, like, strategize our personalities or our thoughts and feelings, but, you know, what's a topical conversation about money right now like oh people are really talking about living a soft life like let's get into that let's let's make content that encourages people to then share that with their friends and have those conversations in their group chats like there's a lot of brains that go behind being an influencer and i just think Mm. I, i agree with you on that one
1: yeah no yeah it's and we should not be ashamed whatsoever that is it's actually I think I I get frustrated because women, we always feel like we have to downplay our intelligence. And it's like, Mm. no, we're genius. Like what you guys did or what you women did (laughs) is beautiful. Like like you said, it is a media company. It was very intentional. There's a lot of strategy that goes into building a platform like you have, getting a book deal, expanding it to even further. I'm sure you guys have dreams of doing other things that are probably coming very soon. And it's like, all of that takes intentionality. All of it has a thought process behind it and so I love what you guys have built and I love how your brains work and how all of this is manifested and and the impact that it's making like how does that even feel for you to see the impact that all of this has made so far just from a conversation that you and your friend had?
2: excuse me how does it feel I think it's just been so rewarding because I I just love business and I love like seeing I love seeing like, what can we try and how can it work? And obviously sometimes it doesn't work and then sometimes things do. But I think the biggest like blessing is we can walk down the street and someone like might recognize recognize us and go, hey, I've got a story to tell. I got a pay rise because of you. Or I was able to buy my first home because of you. Or I was able to invest for my child's college fund because of the podcast. And I think that knowing it has like actual impact, that makes a difference
1: no that's huge you are literally changing lives that is huge (laughs) no yes you are it's huge impact um and i'm i'm just so proud of you especially as a woman of color like us being in these spaces of sharing information on how to grow our money how to take up more space in the world like that is just beautiful um okay so you were featured in forbes
2: how was that experience that's huge It was absolutely crazy. I like, I still didn't believe it. And maybe this talks may be more to like imposter syndrome, but I didn't believe it when I got the email. I didn't believe it when I had the interview. I was like, but will it even go up? Like maybe they do it. And then they think it's like, you know, I was like, I'm not going to believe it until it's like on the website. I didn't believe it when we had the photo shoot. I was like, well, you know, it's just, it was quite funny. But when it came out, it was such a beautiful, like they did, they did such justice to the story and they shared, shared our entire story on like how it started and the book and the master classes that we do and, and um, the podcast. And it was written by a woman of color. And I remember when she like got on the call with me, she was like, how did we not find you sooner? And I had to stop myself from being like, yeah, how have you not found me sooner? <laughs> no exactly (laughs) um but no it was it was it was definitely a a highlight
1: that's beautiful I'm so happy for you guys because yeah that that's such a big accomplishment and that's one of those things like across the board in business like no matter what you do we all know that that is like a huge deal so love that for you um and how does Sonia feel about it was she excited
2: Sonia was so excited she it's quite funny our personalities are quite different she likes to be behind like the scenes her dream is to like walk down the street and no one knows who she is and I'm like Sonia we run like a very somewhat popular podcast and she's like but it's a podcast like they don't see my face that's the whole point um but she's fantastic and so having like two very different personalities one that's more of a dreamer I think that's myself one that's more like of a realistic person her um, is so great to do business with because we can like bounce ideas off each other and she can like pull me back and I can like encourage her forward and it's just great when you um find someone like that and of course knowing her for 20 plus years there's so much trust and that's like invaluable
1: mm, that's so true I didn't think about that because yeah in business there's so much that goes on with negotiations and you know and also maintaining your reputation and trying to make sure you know there's just different levels to it but to have somebody right there next to you that like has a deeper level of trust and a deeper bond with you I'm sure that that just makes the whole experience feel safer but also like it makes these moments way more fulfilling and mean so much more you know so that's beautiful
2: (laughs) yeah we're very lucky I mean of course um like if someone's listening into this and going like, oh, I'd like to go into business with my best friend. I think realistically there will be a bit of back and forth and a little bit of like understanding each other. And we had to put in boundaries when we started um, our podcast. It was around the same time that the call her daddy podcast broke up the two co-hosts like Alex Cooper and Sophia, I think. Um, And we, we decided like, before we even began we were like if our friendship starts to get affected by this business the business has to stop like our friendship will come first and so it's just good to have like boundaries as well with your friends like not using iMessage to talk about work using like Slack only or not using FaceTime you know using Google Meets and just like having like separation.
1: Mm, I like that That no you're right because it can definitely get, um, like, they can start overlapping. And then there's Mm. a lot of gray area. And then you can, like, there's just so much that can happen with that. And even for myself, because I've been um, in business with a friend before. And I remember, there would be moments where, like, because of things that were work related, it would just carry over into the friendship. And it would Mm. just cause, you know what I mean? Like, just unnecessary tension. Yeah. Yeah. So those boundaries are so important. So what are some boundaries that you would recommend to anyone like starting off like I know you mentioned like the slack and the communication boundaries but like are there any others
2: I think the slack and communication boundaries are definitely um helpful other things would involve when we started I we kind of like laid out the plan and I was like this is what I'd hope like before we began I knew what I wanted I was like I'd like to one day have a course and have speaking events and uh, you know, have a book or something. And so this is what I'd like to do. Having it laid out on paper, having a contract in place, it's always, it always feels weird. Um, But a contract involves not just like, this is what, like, you know, we do, we both turn up at the same time. It's more, this is what our roles are. Our roles are very specific. Like I will take care of X, Y, Z. And um, what are you taking care of? Okay, you're going to take care of this and this and that. If you know what, um, it works at the start. And as you keep going, you might realize, well, actually, she's much better at like customer service or partnerships. So, like, maybe she should do that. Or I'm much better at social media. So, I'm actually going to like just take care of all of that. Having clear boundaries made it easier because no one's overlapping and no one's saying, like, no one's looking over each other's shoulder and kind of like um, changing things. I think that it shows like a level of trust and respect at the very beginning of a business partnership. And there were times when things would overlap and then we would both, you know, kind of clash. And and so trying to have more clear-cut boundaries on who do, does what and also um, clear-cut boundaries on, like, how things are going to be split. So we had, like, a conversation around, like, well, like, the podcast will split by, like, X percent for the amount of work that we're doing, for everything else, this is how we'll split it. Um, or do you want to split it? Do you even want equity? Would you prefer, like being a salaried employee like are we going to be founders or are we just going to be like employee um employer like just there's so many different ways of doing it but if you have clear communication that just makes the expectations a lot more easier i remember at the start um one of our clashes that we had which was spoken on the podcast before i was like oh like you're not really making time for this and she was like my priorities are my like nine to five job then my friends, then my second job, and then this. And that's when I was, it just like hit me and I was like, oh, well, this is my business. So this is actually my number one priority, but I can't expect that of someone else, um, especially if that's not the relationship that we have in the business. And that was so good because you just have more clear expectations and you're not going to be upset if you know they can't make a last minute change.
1: Yes, I completely agree. And I think that it's so important to have those hard conversations, like that is key. And it in also the boundaries, just to kind of emphasize that, I think the biggest reason the boundaries are so important is because it is like a, a compass in a way or like a, a way to measure how things are going, right? So it's like, like you said, if things that begin to change and you notice, oh, the other person's better at, um, you know, doing admin work or doing customer service or whatever, it's like now you know, okay, the boundary that was put in place needs to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. And then you can have those hard conversations. But I think a lot of times when there's no clear boundaries in place, no clear, um, you know, like like um, division of who does what and all that, then it, it creates this weird, you know, this weird tension when there's no, like, because people's feelings change. I know, especially mm-hmm. women, like our feelings will change about things. And so instead of just communicating that, a lot of times I've just noticed that like, and this goes for any type of business partnership, because mm-hmm. I've, I've been in business with several different people before. <laughs> and I noticed that like when people's feelings change or they're not feeling their role anymore or whatever, and they want to adjust things, sometimes there's a hard, it's hard to communicate that, you know, but I think having those hard conversations. And even being up front, I've had to have those conversations with people and be like, hey, this is not a top priority for me anymore because I'm not getting the return that I thought I was going to get or this over here is taking my attention. But it's like when you have those communi- those um, conversations, then you're able to continue to modify things in order for everyone to still get their needs met or in order for you to get to the next level in the business, right? So that is such good advice. So thank you for sharing that because I'm sure that there's somebody – that's gonna you know that's listening that's trying to get into business with their friends (laughs) (laughs) yes and partnerships are great I think partnerships are amazing in business and so we definitely need to protect them at all costs because we can do so much more together
2: oh absolutely
1: Um, yeah so you mentioned that you know you guys want to do courses you guys have done master classes you have the book the podcast what are some ways that you want to scale girls that invest moving forward
2: I think this is um something that i have been deliberating a lot on if i could have my way if i could like wave a magic wand and have whatever i want um for our brand it would be to continue to reach as many people as possible we've been so lucky we've had you know um three million downloads on the podcast we have about 200,000 followers on Instagram um, and I think that's fantastic because it means that you know the message is reaching so many women across a lot of countries but I truly believe our work won't be done until investing becomes so normalized until it's like oh um, it, it's almost funny I want to keep going until the podcast doesn't need to exist anymore like, I want to keep going until people are like oh investing I already know that like I don't need to listen to a podcast about it <laughs>
1: yes like to where it's so normalized almost like facebook ads or shopify or whatever it's like yeah (laughs) exactly yes i love that that is such a great goal because we need that we need it to be normalized so um okay so question i because i as you were talking i was like i know that there's somebody that's thinking like how did you guys grow this you know Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of women and I think just in general with business, aside from like women starting businesses or whatever, just business in general, right now, it is so important to have a presence online, you know, and a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people are trying to figure that out. Like, how do you grow a dedicated following
2: like you have? This is a great question. I'm glad you asked it. I don't think a lot of um, people recognize the, the importance of that. And when we have like interviews in the past, it's it, it, it comes across as like, oh, this was like luck, right? Um, so thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it came down to understanding that I was like, look, no one's going to Google stock market on like shop a uh, Spotify or Apple podcast like no one's going to look up stock market podcast we need to be where people are and where were people at that time in 2020 they were on Instagram now if I was to start again I would start on TikTok um, but it was beginning on Instagram and so I would go well if people are already spending time on Instagram what's what can I do to um, like get the investing information in a way that's accessible and bite-sized and fun because if you imagine yourself when you're scrolling on instagram you're not in the mood to read a very big large summary of you know different types of stocks you just want bite-sized something fun and fresh something that you can then send off to your friend and go oh this is so cool and so that was truly all i did every piece of content i made had to be something fun a little bit educational but more importantly, shareable. I wanted it to be something that someone would put on their own story or send to their friend. And by doing that, it would continue to reach more and more people. And that's honestly the secret to my growth on social media with it. Before Girls That Invest, I used to run a page that I grew in high school. It was like a a hobby page called um, The Indian Feminist. And it that grew to like 300,000 followers. It was so cool. But back then I was so young. I was like, what do I do with this? Um, And so I wasn't able to really uh, turn it into a full-fledged business. It was more of a fun thing. And that taught me the importance of create content that is shareable, that will reach more people quicker. And if you can turn that into what you do with TikTok, I mean, you, you guys do so well with your TikToks, like phenomenally well. Um, and it just oh. comes down to like high quality content. That's fun. That's educational and something that you go, Oh, I'd love to send this to my friend.
1: Yes. No, I completely agree. And so were you, when you were starting off, like, cause I know people are going to be, that. this is the number one people, I mean, the number <laughs> one question people ask me all the time. So I'm sure they're thinking this, how many times were you posting a day and were you posting every day or just a few times a week? <laughs> I That's don't a know great if this question. Super
2: relevant. But <laughs> I think I think people do get caught up on it like the questions of like hashtags and, and all of that. I would say at least post once a day. Um when I had the energy, I was posting like twice a day. Now on Instagram, Instagram has slowed down. There's not a lot of posts. Like you don't see a lot of your friends' content on Instagram as much. So there's more other people's content. So we've actually slowed down on Instagram to once a day. So it's not clogging up someone's feed because there's like less content in general being posted. Um, but for TikTok, once a day, even twice a day if you have the energy. If you don't, once a day is fine. Um, and the way you grow is you just post whatever you think is going to work. And then you take inventory every week and you look back and you go, Okay, well, out of the five videos I did, all of them had like a hundred views, but this one video had two hundred views. I'm gonna make more of that video. And you keep doing that until you hit the jackpot. Um, and that's what we would do. We would just keep putting out content until we would see something that like really worked. And TikTok loves that and it will continue to push those kind of videos. Um and it was actually TikTok that made us blow up. I put up one video. I, I didn't even think it was going to do well. It reached a million views. And it got our podcast to the number one business podcast in the US, in the UK, in Canada, in Australia, New Zealand, on Spotify and Apple for a week. And that was not something that would have happened by, like, people listening in and sharing it with their friends. That was the social media.
1: Wow. No, and I think that's a huge for anyone that does a podcast, like you have to remember that yes even though like on spotify and on apple and all that like people can search things people are not searching as much as you would think on specific topics because that's still new to like use the platform as a search engine quote unquote um and like you said no like that's not just a common topic for people to search oh the stock market and, you know <laughs> even though they need to.
2: <laughs>
1: not. and so using a platform like tiktok for discoverability I think that's beautiful, but also I want to emphasize the fact that it does have really good conversion and people ask me that all the time. Is TikTok good for conversion? But yes, it is amazing. People really do do whatever you ask them to do after they see the video. And so that like has that been a consistent thing for you guys that you've seen it's like helped your growth?
2: Absolutely. Like I um I found it to be such a great way to promote our book, for example. So our book came out um, and by using things like TikTok, at that point we had a very large Instagram following. So it was great for people that already knew us. You know, Instagram is a great place to reach people that have been a part of your brand. Um, but the, that's, there's like a cap to that. And by using TikTok, it resulted in so many book sales. And it like, I, we would see like a video would do well and we would jump back up on like the Amazon charts or like the Barnes and Noble charts. I love that. Yes, the Barnes and Noble charts. That's so um
1: I know I love that because <laughs> cuz I want to write a book soon and so hearing terms like that I'm like, "Ooh, I'm going to be saying that soon." So
2: <laughs> No, but I love that. <laughs> I cannot wait to read it. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much. Hopefully my book will be sitting next to yours. So <laughs> Okay, so that's investing a little bit. So like or in just finances in general. Um, what are some mindset shifts that you feel like people have to make when they start trying to change the way that they approach their finances? Because I've just noticed that a lot of people, they have, you know, lifestyle creep where mm-hmm. as they make more money, even if they figure out how to make more money or get a better job or whatever, they still are not prioritizing investing and they end up just increasing their expenses. So how, what are some mindset shifts that need to be made?
2: I think the first one is um, something that I really struggled with until I like, I guess, got out of it. And that was the idea that I'll get good with my money when I make more money. And that's something we see very often. Like when I was in university, I had um, I was really into e-commerce. I was really into um, like doing all these other cool things. And I was making a lot as a student. I could quit my part time job and just focus on that. But that was money that I would just blow on like anything and everything, I loved buying makeup, I loved buying um, like nice dinners with my friends and going on road trips and and those were great memories, but I put nothing aside uh, to save or invest. And I always used to tell myself, well, I'm a student, when I get my first real job, that's when I can start caring about my money. And that's actually not the best mindset to have, because if you can learn how to manage $100, then you'll be able to manage $100,000 a lot better. Being able to start being and having good habits um, now when we maybe don't feel like we have a lot is actually the best way to stop lifestyle inflation happening or stop lifestyle creep happening. We've seen people that make like $200,000 and they spend $200,000. And so they actually have no great financial one safeguard or investments for their future and the person that maybe makes 30,000 but is at least investing a thousand a year she's gonna actually she's actually going to be much better off um, no matter what happens to her so that was the first big like mindset shift I had and the second was and I don't know if this is going to be a concern for your listeners but this shift of money is evil or money is bad I, I used to feel that way and I had to unlearn that a bit as well
1: no yeah absolutely and i think um like you said the first point is probably going to be the one that they resonate with the most but i i know from experience that is true because people don't understand that when you make more money all it does is amplify everything that needs to be fixed or everything that's going well but it also (laughs) makes you more of who you are and so there's no way that you can't just flip a switch and just automatically know how to manage your money better you know and so All you're going to do is make bigger mistakes at that point when you have more money. And it's just so important to learn how to manage at a small level. And even if you think, oh, I don't have the extra money to invest, or I don't have the extra to do X, Y, and Z, even if it's just $10, do it for the sake of getting into the habit of doing it and prioritizing a certain routine with the way that you handle your money. So yeah, I completely agree
2: absolutely there, there was a study that was done and they got people to sit on chairs um based on their income so like at the first row was for people that made 50,000 then behind them people that made 100,000 150 200 and so forth and they um, the speaker said, "Stand up if you'd like to make an extra fifty thousand dollars a year," and everyone stood up. You know, and it was quite interesting. Like the people that made fifty thousand dollars were thinking, "Well, if I just had another fifty thousand in my salary, I'd be sorted." But then they look behind them, and the people that are making that much still want more, and the people behind them still want more, and it's this never-ending cycle. Um, when we, I think we almost think that when we reach a certain salary that like a financial advisor will pop out of the blue. They'll sit down with us and we'll have a big plan sorted. But the truth is you're so busy with everything else in your life that when you make that money that you've always wanted to make, you actually don't have the time to sit down and go, right, let's take inventory of my life. Where am I spending my money? Let's start budgeting now. Like we, we don't do that. And so start starting where you are, starting where you are at, starting today going, look, I might actually not be making my dream salary or I might still be studying or I might be in a transition phase in my life. But that doesn't mean I can't have good money skills and those skills I will have forever. And I think that's the biggest gift you can give yourself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I used to think that like money would make me like more money is what was going to bring me security. But it's like no, and <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> and if your money stops, then you have nothing to fall back on. You know, mm-hmm. you have nothing to catch you if you're start if you start falling. And it's like, I remember, I remember years ago I had um, gotten a financial advisor for the first time, and I felt so I was like so anxious and like I was cringing when I was doing like when I had the first meeting with him because I thought that. I did not qualify to have a financial advisor. Really? Yeah, because I wasn't making much. And I was just like, oh, he's going to tell me, like, I'm not ready to work with him or something. And he's just going to think this is a waste of his time. And he was like, no, actually, you probably, more than anyone, need a financial advisor. (laughs) (laughs) And this is really good that you're doing this. And of course, the first thing he told me was like, "Okay, we do have to work on your cash flow, because in order for everything else to flow properly, like for this plan that I am telling you to do, you would benefit from having more cash flow. Um, But ultimately, having more cash flow doesn't solve the rest, it just aids in you carrying out the plan that you have for investing, you know. And so learning those lessons, but like, getting over the shame of it all of like, feeling like, oh, gosh, I'm not good enough to do this, or, oh, my gosh, I need to have more money, or oh, I should have known this. And, you know, like, it's just like, to the side you know because it's not a place to feel like you should not feel ashamed for not knowing what you don't know
2: you know yeah you absolutely shouldn't I love that and I think a good financial advisor is one that helps you and teaches you the journey and makes you feel part of the process not someone that makes you feel like you should have known better so he sounds fantastic
1: yeah no he was cool (laughs) (laughs) So um, what, okay, do you feel like people misunderstand the importance of investing versus saving? Because I know that some people are not sure what to prioritize or how much to do for both or, you know, or what the difference really is
2: absolutely I think so in um, historically most of women's wealth is kept in cash so about 68 so almost 70% of what we own we keep in cash which um, is not necessarily a bad thing if you think about it if you especially if you grow up with immigrant parents um, we're often taught like save put money away for a rainy day that's the best way um, to to grow your money but um, there's this thing called inflation which is not our friend and you might have heard of inflation a lot more this year than we ever have in our life before um, but inflation basically means that the value of your money chips away usually two percent each year that's normal this year it's chipping away at like seven percent eight percent if you're in the uk nine percent and so what we're seeing is if you have a hundred dollars really what you've got at the end of this year is like ninety three dollars and what you can buy what hundred dollars could buy you is actually going to be less year by year Back in the day, $5 could get you a cup of coffee. Now it won't. You know, you might need $8 or $9. That's what inflation does to our money. So the benefit of saving is obviously the security of having that cash available. The downside of saving all your money is that inflation will chip away at it. And that's why people invest. They say, okay, well, the stock market averages about 7% a year. So 7% upwards on my money. Inflation usually drops my money 2% a year, so I've got this 5% buffer that's stopping inflation eating away at my cash. And to determine how much you should put in different places, I just keep cash for my goals. So I have an emergency fund, which is about $5,000. I have like a small goals fund, um, which is just a savings account and that's maybe like 3000 like that's more like for travel or home renovations right now. And then I just have the money that I like put towards bills. And that's all the cash I have, I actually don't have a lot of cash on me. Instead, for me, I live a very, I guess, somewhat cheap life. Um, so I invest the rest of it into the share market, or I put it into a savings account until I'm ready to buy a home, for example, and, um, or I invest it back into my business. And so Having cash is important, but I think investing is also highly important. And if you're a salaried employer, having a four hundred and one k and having a salary match is like free money at this point. Like you've you've got to look into it.
1: No, that is so such good advice, and I I love that you did the breakdown so that people can really see what that looks like. Um, Because I remember, so my ex, he used to work in finance, and when we first started dating, I remember him saying that to me he was like i don't keep that much money in my checking account and (laughs) me i was like what are you talking about because at that time i kept at least um like five figures at all (laughs) times oh my god (laughs) like i remember that day i like having the exact thought like he just told me he has three thousand dollars in his checking account and when he first said that i cringed a little bit i was like ew did it give you the egg yes give me the egg because i thought of myself as like a high value woman or whatever because i had like at that moment, I remember thinking, I have like $20,000 in my checking account, so ew. <laughs> like, you know, I, I want to see demo. how much,
2: <laughs> I want to see how much I have in my checking account right now, I might want to, um, let's see if it will load in time, yeah, I have $1,300, not a lot and, to it. No, but also too, you're you're creating
1: boundaries for yourself, really, you know, and it's like, and that's what he he was trying to teach me, he was like, you think that's cute and it's making you feel good, right? <laughs> you have that your checking oh. <laughs> <laughs> but really, you should be doing all these different things with that same money, right? And I was thinking yeah. like, well, I have some money over here and I have some stuff over here. Like, you know, I was thinking in my head, it doesn't matter if I'm not going to be broke, but ultimately it's just not, it, does, it doesn't matter. It's not smart, right? You, your money could be doing so much more for you if you have mm. it allocated in different things like the stock market or even in a high yield savings or whatever like it just that just didn't make any sense like and there's no reason i would need twenty thousand dollars every single day <laughs> it, it feels
2: secure it, it felt really good even. but yeah mm. <laughs> it
1: didn't make any sense and i now i understand that totally but in that moment i was just like mm. Okay.
2: <laughs> I I have a story as well. I had a friend, a close friend, and they were like, yeah, my dad is in like $3 million worth of debt. And I was like, I thought you were rich. Like, how did this happen? And they're like, no, like, they have like $10 million in assets, but to make assets, you need debt. And like, we use the bank's money to make money. We wouldn't buy a home and cash we'll get a loan even if we can afford it. And like, that just like it was so hard for me to understand at the time they would do the same with their cars and yeah it's it's just not things we get taught but it comes with time
1: no it does it absolutely does it takes a mental shift and I think but seeing more examples because that's the biggest thing I've noticed is like for all the women that operate that way like we're and and I'm sure men do it too, but we're for the sake of this podcast, we're talking about women. So I know a lot of women. We do that where it's like, we do whatever we've seen or whatever we've been taught. And so I think that's huge is us seeing more examples. So that's why I'm so happy that you just explained the, the breakdown of your accounts and stuff like that because we need that. We need more examples, you know.
2: But, oh, yeah. thank you, thank you. It's yeah. I I think but. <laughs> I think there is a real privilege in being able to say, hey, this is how I did it and I'm going to be really transparent. These are my accounts. This is actually how much money I have. This is how I organize things because we didn't have that growing up. We didn't see yeah. that. And so you really cannot be what you like don't see, I guess.
1: No, exactly. Exactly. I always say proximity will change your life. You just need mm-hmm. to see it in order to desire it or you know, see it for yourself. So yeah, that's huge.
2: Oh, yeah. I love that quote.
1: so okay so you just mentioned on tiktok recently how you feel um you feel a bit guilty in a way for having a softer life you know than your parents did you know because your parents were immigrants and you have built so much for yourself and um do you like explain some of that like how do you balance like those feelings while you're still building what you're building
2: I think growing up you get taught um you know that you grow up watching struggle um like I was looking at um a photo album over the weekend and my mum and I when I was like maybe four years old we were sitting down on the floor eating with our dinner with like a newspaper on the floor and I was like oh did we not have a dining table at that time and I was like no we like couldn't afford one so we would just like sit on the floor it was fine you know um yeah. and there were Those were a lot of my memories or things like we couldn't afford a couch. We just have plastic chairs and that would do. Um, And I saw my parents, they're a lot more comfortable now. Like they own their own home. Um, They have like good paying jobs. But to like see the slow change over time made me feel like you have to struggle or like it's it's something you owe the universe. Like you have to give struggle to then have nice things. And living in a different time... In an age where by having such a good, solid foundation as a child, it gave me the privilege to like springboard my own career. I didn't have to, I mean, obviously everyone has their own struggles, but I didn't have to struggle the same way they had to struggle. I didn't have to eat off the floor um, as as like a 27 year old, you know, a desk is like a hundred dollars these days. Like that's, you know, a lot more doable for the salary I was earning and as my money increased, I just wouldn't spend it. And I would always be worried, it's going to go away. Like, I... It was so weird. I had a million dollars in the business bank account and I still felt like this could all disappear. And it was just a lot of unlearning I had to do.
1: Hmm. No, yeah, I, I'm sure so many of us can, you know, resonate with that because I think even for me with my parents, like I kind of saw them grow up, you know, because they had me so young. And so even though they were immigrants, it's like, I just saw them go through so many things, trying to figure out their finances and how to take care of me and my sister. You know, and it's like, even though they were trying to verbally tell me, this doesn't have to be a reality, blah, 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 It was like, I still took on a lot of that because I experienced it with them, you know? So yeah, I, I, for me, I think it was like, I was always like, I'm going to spend when I have the money. I was like, I'm going to spend because I don't want to ever feel like that again. <laughs> where we don't have...
2: Or I feel like I don't have it, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I think I like saw that with my dad. So he didn't have a lot growing up, and then when he eventually could, like you know, have a nicer life, when he would take us to the grocery store, he'd be like, "Buy would he would be like a kid at a candy store? He'd pick up all the things. Like he to this day, when he like visits, he'll bring home like ten chocolate bars, and we're like, we don't need this. Like no one's home. um But for him, he was like, I never got to get what I wanted when I would see things at the store. And now I can do that. And even though he's like, you know, a grown man, it's like, it's still this like, you know, our childhood really affects us. And it's like this idea of our money story. And if you're trying to work out why you have certain behaviors, maybe like have a think as to like what your childhood was like, what you did get and what you didn't and why that like might actually still be playing a factor into why we do things the way we do now
1: yeah no for sure for sure there's so many correlations and it's just so important for us to work through it and that's why i'm even like when in terms of money like i always preach like it's so important to work on your mental health and like to work through your old past traumas because it affects everything we always think like it just affects our relationships but it affects our relationship with money as well like deeply so yeah, I think looking back and, and really revisiting that, even if it's hard, that really does benefit you so you can figure out what need you what you need to work through, you know. In your book, I wanna to touch on your book because of course, like that is huge that you just released this book recently and um so many women love it. But one big thing that you talk about in the book and you, you provide a lot of evidence and you know, you've done a lot of research on this that basically wealth was more so um like the the concept of wealth, the structure of wealth, all of it was more so catering to men, and you know, women were often excluded from this, and especially women of color. We have been excluded from this, but they've worked really hard to make sure we don't understand how to get ahead, how to grow our money, all of that. And so, um, while you were doing this research and while you were writing the book, like what were some things that you discovered um you know, in turn like that we should know as women? you know getting into this industry because we feel so excluded you know so what were some things that you learned that are key like things that they're doing on a daily basis that are preventing us from like getting ahead
2: i think the biggest thing and i put this in the first chapter because it blew my mind i did i wasn't even aware of this until i was doing the research like the exact numbers around this we as women were not able to do a lot of financial things for ourselves until very recently and we think about like the wealth gap and the wage gap and then we think it's our own fault and then you realize it wasn't wasn't until like 1975 which is actually not that long ago, um, when women could get credit cards, could get a mortgage, could buy a home on their own, even up till 1980 in some countries like New Zealand and Australia and in parts of the US, you still needed a man to co-sign your mortgage, even if you could afford it yourself. And so you've got to start thinking, a woman couldn't even open a bank account until 1974. So that was like our mother's generation or for some of us, our grandmother's generation um, or or our generation. Like it's not actually um, too distant. And men have had thousands upon thousands of years of financial knowledge passed down from their fathers. Not all of them, of course, those that have had the privilege to, but imagine like thousands of generations or years of your grandfathers telling you their stories and learning from them and like we've just had our mothers be like yeah I was able to open my first bank account at 32 like that's insane to me
1: that's crazy yeah that was seven year um 1975 was the
2: year my dad was born so that's just yeah, crazy. exactly
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, um,
2: and so for, for the idea that that we were held back um has such an impact on us the second thing i'd really want to mention is this was a uk study but it's still relevant they looked at how money media spoke to women and like money articles directed at women think of a buzzfeed articles you read you know growing up if you're a millennial or like the articles that you would see in magazines they found that 65 percent of money articles directed at women were were quite negative and they would use words like, don't take risk and learn how to save. And like, this is how this woman couponed her way to like a $0 grocery bill. Like how many times have we seen like coupon articles as if that's what our best skill is to be able to save our way to wealth. And then they looked at money articles towards men. 75% of those articles towards men said things like how to invest, how to grow your cash, how to take risks, what is cryptocurrency. One article literally said how to become a billionaire. And if we made an article like that, or even a podcast episode or a book with that title, how to be a billionaire, that just would be so left field. It's just not what we do. There was like a Jamie Oliver, um, who's a chef for those that might not know, article on a magazine, and it said, Jamie Oliver, how to save money in the kitchen. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is so bad. Yeah, no, it's horrible.
1: (laughs) And you're right. Like, even now I'm sitting here thinking and I'm like, every single coupon influencer I've seen that has done really well has always been a woman. I've never seen, like, I've seen coupon moms. I've never seen coupon dads. I've never seen, you know. And it's like this whole messaging and this marketing is uh, clearly working because it's that's our focus. Whereas over here, they're focused on like, how can I get in Forbes? How can I grow my finances? How can you know? And so that just shows like it actually worked, their plan worked, and that's what's sad. And they need we need more platforms like yours to counteract that because this is ridiculous at this point. But yeah,
2: yeah, I yeah. think. I think it's important to have the skills of how to save in coupon. I think that's so important. But as someone that's tried that to like try to save every single penny to get to that home deposit, I realized very quickly there is a flaw to how much I can save, but there is a technically no ceiling i mean there's the glass ceiling of course but there's technically no ceiling to how much i can earn as a business owner and so that was what shifted me and by putting more of my focus on upskilling in my job and eventually upskilling in my own company that got to me that got to me my that got me to my first million a lot faster than trying to save on my grocery bills
1: exactly exactly i completely agree same here (laughs) um okay so one question I always ask everyone on the show is what does it mean to you to be a wealthy woman? So I'd love to hear what your answer is.
2: What it means to be a wealthy woman for me is flexibility. And that is such, it is like such a powerful word for me. It means flexibility of time. It means, I mean, this was a bit embarrassing, but I was spending time with my friends in London. I was just on a holiday last week and I was just enjoying myself so much that I wanted to stay longer, and I was like, "I can just push out my flight by two days." Yes, it will cost me, you know, two hundred or four hundred dollars to change the flight, and a couple of hundred for the hotel room. But by having money, like I can now put more value on this friendship that I have, or spending time with my girls and doing more in that way. Um, I then missed my flight accidentally and turned up too late, um, which was terrible. But it wasn't a I sound so irresponsible. I promise I'm not. It was just that one weekend. Um, no, we're not judging. <laughs> I missed my flight. And then I was like, this is terrible, but it's not at a big detriment to my life. I mean, being a wealthy woman to me means being able to like call up my team and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I have to reschedule a meeting or two. I'm going to catch the next flight. Um, but it wasn't a make or break for me. And if was if this was me like three years ago, I would have been so stressed out. Like, It would have been a nightmare. So being a wealthy woman to me means having flexibility of my time. If I ever wanted to have children one day, it means I can say, hey, I want to drop them off at school. I want to be able to do the pickup runs. That's a value of mine. And by having my own financial freedom, I can do that.
1: That's beautiful. And yeah, there is no shame. Okay, no, we're not shaming you because that is exactly what it means to be a wealthy woman life happens accidents happen and so that's the whole point of wealthy women because i noticed that when i was developing the brand that was the biggest thing i was like oh my gosh women nine times out of ten because we haven't set up our finances properly any incidental almost takes us out like it is the end of the world (laughs) so that right there is the epitome like you've set up things in such a way where you can have that freedom and you can like But also, too, if something happens, it's like it's not the end of the world. Like, things are okay. So I love that for you. That is beautiful. (laughs) Of course. And thank you so much for being on the show. Sim, where can people find you? Where can they get tapped into the Girls That Invest platform and the network? Tell them all the things.
2: Absolutely. If you're interested in investing education, we've got our podcast, Girls That Invest. We've got our Instagram account. We've got our website that has our weekly newsletter where we give stock market tea. Um, And we've also got our book, Girls That Invest, which you can find in all major bookstores. Um, And it's just been so wonderful to chat with you. It's like very rare, I think, for these kind of conversations to happen. And I hope one day it's just so normal to be like, yeah, we are wealthy women and we're sharing our wealthy women tips. And this is just a very normal thing to do.
1: Exactly. Yes, this was so good. This was so, so good. So everyone, please go check her out. Please get tapped in if you are interested in investing. All of you should be. That means everyone listening to this should (laughs) go and tap in. (laughs) And you're right. This conversation was beautiful. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time.